Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I'm so sick of people when you're like going through a breakup or you're single and alone and you're like, what am I doing wrong? And then you talk to couples and they're always like, you know what? When I met John, I just knew. And you're like, bitch, I've known you for 10 years. Every time you met a guy, you're like, he's the one. So that's a lie. It's Violet Benson, your favorite meme queen and the big sis you didn't ask for, but need. Welcome to Almost Adulting. Almost Adulting. Almost Adulting. Are you ready? Hello, my fellow humans. <laughs> and welcome to a brand new episode of Almost Adulting with me, your big sister, your host, and your best friend, Viola Benson. Today, we have an awesome episode, episode technically number two of Breakups and Cheating Month. It's with Todd. Before we get started, a few things. Number one, it's so funny, but I actually got to hang out with Todd recently after I did this interview. And the funny thing is that I had this whole idea of who Todd was. And I thought he was this very like uptight, spiritual human being. And you won't be able to tell through this interview. But I think I almost accidentally got the wrong idea of who he was. So when I did this interview, the questions I was asking was based on me thinking he was more like Mark from Create the Love type of person than who he really is, which is has a very sassy, similar personality to mine. And I feel like I didn't fully get to take advantage of his awesome personality. And I kind of not to be too hard on myself, which is who I am as a person. But I kind of regret that because a lot of my questions were geared towards this self-help guru type of person. But uh, I would love to know your thoughts on what you thought of this interview, if you got all the knowledge you needed to get from it. I definitely want to have him back where we chat more as friends. We actually, we hung out like the other day, kind of shoot the shit and make fun of each other. So I'm very fond of him. Okay, moving on to the next thing is that I am right now talking to you half asleep, half on painkillers while I have these chompers in my mouth. As most of you know, last week I had a procedure. I was redoing my whole top mouth of veneers because uh, I have a special case, unlike regular people. I was born with no enamel. Yeah, uh, shout out to Russia. I was born being vitamin D deficient because I was, I was born in November and there was no sun. So I did not get a chance to get any vitamin D. Not only was I born with a crooked leg, but I was also born with no enamel. So the first thing the doctors wanted to do was to chop my leg off because hello, welcome to Russia. And uh, there was nothing they could do about my teeth. So the leg story is for a different time. But uh, as for my teeth, yeah, enamel deficient. I have no enamel on my teeth, which means all my teeth are yellow. When I was younger, I changed my teeth all the time because I was going through insurance. Insurance covers half when it's a medical, a real medical issue. But it's uh, it's never the veneers that celebrities have, like the really nice veneers, because those type of veneers, insurance doesn't cover. 
now that I'm daddy issues and I pay for my own teeth, I get the nicer type of veneers. And those are the ones I'm able to go five plus years without changing them. But because of the special case that I have, I have to change them more often. The regular people would change them every 10 years. And these veneers are the expensive ones. So like 1800 to $3,000 a tooth. It's pretty gnarly. Anyway, last week I was finally going through the procedure. And again, because I have a more complicated case, I get put to sleep for this. It can go between four to six hours to change the set in my mouth in case there's any complications and things like that. I get put to sleep for that. So last week I finally went through it. Let me tell you, not only do I not have enamel on my teeth, (laughs) but I'm also anemic. So I don't have any veins in my body. I'm literally vitamin D deficient and I have no veins, which at this point I might as well be a vampire because I'm also very good looking. So I'm trying, I'm starting to get the feeling that I'm a vampire. (laughs) So when I was there, basically, and I did my procedure, first I had to get put to sleep. I kid you not, it took over an hour for the anesthesiologist or whatever his title is to put me to sleep. We couldn't find a vein. So we basically had to go through both of my arms to look for veins. He poked both of my arms different places. And then even when he thought he found a vein and he poked through it, he basically has to go with the needle, like twisting around, trying to find the vein that would stick. And then until it finally hurts me, because he hits a vein the wrong way, then he has to pull out and it's not working out. So he did that a few times on each one of my arms. Then he said, okay, let's try your wrists. So then both of my wrists, he poked around a couple of times with the needles to look for the veins, couldn't find it. Then he goes, okay, your, your hands now. So now it's the top of my hands, both of them, again, poking me a few times. We think we get a vein, we don't. Then we got to the point that he said, okay, let's go to your feet. I kid you not, we went to my fucking feet, but there were no veins at all. So he actually couldn't even poke through anything because he couldn't see veins. Then he had the audacity to look at my neck. And I said, do not, sir, do not go near my neck. No, I draw the line at looking at a vein in my neck. And by the way, throughout this whole process of him poking me with needles and looking for a vein and us giving up, I kept calming him down. And I said, hey, don't stress out. Don't worry about it. We'll find a vein. We'll be fine. He goes, he was like, wow, I'm honestly so shocked that you're so calm throughout this whole thing. Normally people would just freak out or get anxiety. And I was like, well, what's the point for both of us to stress out? It's not going to help either one of us find the veins. Then they kept having to try to keep me warm in order to get the veins to pop out. So we kept having to put the hottest towels on different parts of my body in order to try to make the veins pop out. And then finally, He wrapped this blue thing around my arm to stop my blood circulation completely in order to finally get a vein on the side of my wrist. So not on my wrist, not on my arm, not on my the front of my hand, but like on the side of my wrist. Finally, we found a vein because he stopped my blood circulation for two whole minutes where my hand was completely my whole arm was completely numb. And that's when he was able to poke me and finally put me to sleep. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty gnarly. I was, I kept thinking about how if right now more than half of the guys I've ever dated 
the thought of them going through this for an hour, I was like, they could never. These men would be crying right now. <laughs> it's almost laughable to think how much emotionally stronger I am <laughs> than most of the men I've dated. Like, I think most of the guys that I've dated, they would never be able to go through this and they would be crying midway through it or they would be like, let's just stop, let's end this. Not me, because I'm Russian in Eastern European girls are just built differently, okay? <laughs> so, yeah. So anyway, now I have my temporary teeth on. So in two weeks, I'll be able to put back on my real teeth. I'm not sure yet if I'm going to be put to sleep for the last procedure or not because this one was the hardest one. But right now, my temporaries, I hate them. I feel like I have chompers on. They are so big. They are so effing big. He made them way too big for me, Dr. Daniel Nason. God bless him. I already got to see him on Monday and we're going to fix my temporaries in order for me. I can't even talk normal right now. Like I'm talking more with the lisp. I have such big teeth in my mouth. I look like a little chipmunk walking around. Normal people can't tell the difference. I can. It's killing me, but that's fine. And look, I know I don't often talk about my birth defect and how much it's affected me growing up, which is why I'm so attractive with such a great personality. <laughs> Again, I'm kidding. I don't like to label myself. I feel like we're all unique and we all go through trauma and we all go through our own experiences. So that's why I don't think I really like to put labels on myself. Like, yes, I'm deaf in my left ear. So technically I have that disorder as well. I am half deaf. Correct. I don't really talk about being deaf in my left ear and how terrible it was going through the pandemic with people wearing masks and me unable to read mouths. So I would not be able to understand or hear people half of the time and how much anxiety it gave me leaving my house ever at that point. I don't talk about that. Yes, I was born with no now on my teeth. So I was constantly bullied for having veneers or for having really yellow teeth and having like 20 root canals in my mouth and so on. Yes, I have ADHD. Yes, I'm also dyslexic. Yes, English is my third language and I'm an immigrant and grew up poor. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Yes, all those things are part of me, but they don't define me. And that is why I don't continuously bring it up or use it as an excuse or make it as if it's the label and that's the only thing that defines me because I'm all of those things plus so much more. And that's what I like to focus on. I do sometimes mention it now because I understand that it helps other people relay. Like it was really cool to get so many messages from you guys about other people that have issues with their teeth. Because I know growing up when I would be crying <laughs> over having, you know, something on my face that I hated so much. And I hated looking at myself in the mirror because I was so, you know, ashamed and embarrassed of what I looked like. I always wished there was an outlet or something out there where someone else could relate to my problem and I wouldn't feel alone. So I do understand that part. So I think that part was very cool for me when I mentioned my teeth a bit on the last intro last week and people DM me and could relate to my situation. I thought that was really cool that I made other people feel better and that, you know, that's just how life is. But I will tell you that loving yourself has nothing to do with your outside looks. And I've learned that the hard way as I've gotten older, it has to do with how you feel inside. And if you feel good enough about yourself inside, it's what you're going to project on the outside, regardless of what you don't like about yourself physically. Okay, so 
that's that. Also, I had an amazing episode last Thursday. May I just say, <laughs> you know, I have another uh, show called Hey Besties on Spotify every Thursday night at 7 p.m. We talked about our worst Tinder dates and I had the best Tinder story because I was so high on painkillers. I ended up blurring out that I fucked this guy from Teen Wolf, this British guy with blue eyes. <laughs> When I was an accountant and it was when I just downloaded Tinder. So it's honestly the best episode. And these episodes come out a few days after we record them live. So if you guys want to listen to that episode, it's hilarious. It's called, again, it's on my other podcast, Hey Besties, on Spotify Live. It's only on Spotify and it's available a few days after the episodes come out. But if you wanted to join me again, whether I'm on painkillers or not, Tonight at 7 p.m. Hey, besties, I see you on Spotify Live and I'll put the link in the description. Anyway, talk to you enough. <laughs> so let's get this episode started and I can't wait to update you next week on my sitch with my teeth and with life. And um, let me know what you think about this episode and if you have a chance or any time, if you wanted to comment and give me a five-star review on this podcast, I would love you forever i read all of them and as much as i appreciate all the dms your reviews really do help out this podcast love you bestie enjoy the episode hi guys and welcome to almost adulting with me viola benson so today i'm joined by certified sex therapist licensed individual and couples psychotherapist who specializes in relationships and sex todd barrett welcome hi Thank you for having me. So Todd has devoted his entire life to wellness, beginning in therapy at 10 years old. Todd actively works against all formalities, traditions, and diagnosis, where he says instead he works to humanize and empower. So this month, we are all about cheating and relationships. And I thought that this episode would be perfect to talk about cheating on ourselves when we're lying to ourselves, when we're self-sabotaging. So I wanted to discuss today how we can break up with our old self and our old habits and old patterns and self-sabotaging. But before we get into all of that, I am actually very curious to better understand what it means with you starting therapy at 10 years old. Uh, my family was crazy. Um, but luckily, not that crazy where they didn't send me to therapy. So they sent me to therapy early on, and then I was off to the races. My therapist has played a really pivotal role in my life. I still see the same one that I've been seeing since I was 15. Um, and I'm 36 now, so I can't do math, but it's a while. And um, it's just it's played such a central role in my life personally and now professionally for a while. So yeah, it's been it's been a lifestyle. But at 10 years old, why exactly did you need to go to therapy? Just because your family sent you there? Um, well, it started first uh, a little bit earlier than that. Um, my teachers were like, he's not paying attention. He's not focusing. Um, got tested. ADD. Ritalin is where I started with. Um, and then from there, there were issues in my family. All my brothers were kind of off the wall and dysfunctional. And everyone was fighting with everybody. And I was the kid that was kind of left out there. Um, so my parents just put me in therapy. Um, and then eventually I did my own self-destructiveness. Um, so then I was in therapy for that. But now I'm a perfect angel. Right. So does anyone ever actually uh, heal? I take uh, breaks from therapy for me personally. I'm fully aware of some of my 
communication styles and attachment styles where if I feel like I'm getting too close to my therapist, I need a break. I'm uncomfortable. I don't want to, I want to stop. When you say too close, what do you mean? Like I'm sharing too much. I'm getting uncomfortable. Like I don't, oh. I can't do this. What's too much? I don't know. When I start to feel uncomfortable where I no longer want to go in or I feel like I have nothing to talk about or I'm starting to feel like I am lying. Well, don't lie. Um, but there's nothing I wrong know. with taking breaks. Take a break, but don't, I wouldn't lie. Tell your therapist that you're lying. Is there any point, because I've seen like some movies, comedy movies, where there were jokes about like, the therapist goes like, that's it, you've healed, you've graduated therapy. Do you ever graduate therapy? <laughs> um, I mean, I have some clients that I'm like, all right, what are we doing here? Is this, you know, what are you coming to see me for? And I have this spiel where I say, you know, I do therapy regularly just because I like to have a space for myself, but that's me. Everybody has their own style in terms of what they want to get out of therapy. Some people do it for, okay, I want to get through this one thing. Um, and other people, it's just part of their daily routine, like going to the gym or going for a walk. So it's a personal preference. But yeah, I mean, I have clients that come in and they're really not doing well. And then we kind of see each other for a year or two and things, nothing really to talk about. And I'm like, seems like, do you want to keep coming in? And they're like, well, I think actually, yeah, it'd be good for a break. And I'm like, okay, come in, come back whenever you want. But um, I think it really depends on the issue. I was talking about this with my therapist the other day. I was like... I've been obsessing about some shit and I'm like, internally my emotional process is so similar to when I was younger. It's like, I haven't changed in many ways. And then I was like, but I'm like pretty successful. I'm very independent. I'm like, have relationships, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, that's a very big difference from when I was younger and like 15 doing tons of cocaine and self-destructing. So like, I mean, things can change, but I mean, I still obsess and have anxiety and I think a lot of times we freak out if we repeat old patterns. We're like, okay, great. So I haven't grown up versus, well, now I'm so self-aware that I know it's happening and I have a decision to make. Like, choice. do I, right. exactly, I have a choice. So do I fix this? Do I act on it? And so on. Do you feel like some people now who go to therapy use that as an excuse to kind of actually act out or be a bad person and not actually heal themselves? Because like, well, I'm going to therapy, so this is okay. I mean, I'm sure there are people that are like really toxic and being mean to other people and hurting others. And they're like, but I'm in therapy working through this. I, don't, I mean, I'm sure that's a thing, but none of my wonderful clients are like that. <laughs> um, okay, so you specialize in various types of therapy, specifically couples. And that's kind of, I uh, was going through your Instagram. There's just like a lot of things that I love that you say. I mean, I think recently I even got really annoyed by someone that commented on your Instagram post, and I remember I like started commenting back. I saw that. Disagreeing that was with cute. that. I was like, don't even, don't even waste your energy. Oh my God. People go nuts when I post stuff about sex or relationships because they've internalized values in such an intense, like evangelical way. And they're like, you're going to murder somebody. And I'm like, I literally just said your partner has fantasies. <laughs> like, what? Yeah, no. Or it's like, this doesn't apply to my personal experience. Ugh, so I'm going to disagree with you. And you're like, this is a general yeah. advice. Like if you need more broad and like you need more advice, like call me personally. I've had reviews like that on my podcast before too, where I pull research and I explain what each therapist said and things like that. And I always say, you know, these are my opinions, this and this. And then the review will be like, what she's doing is dangerous because she's giving the wrong advice. Okay, so your opinion. Right. So it's not, it doesn't work for you. Got it. Yeah, people are, are triggered and they're not taking responsibility from for their triggers and they're blaming whoever is triggering them. The people are really lacking awareness that they get to this intense place and instead of kind of inviting maybe some, like someone like you or me in to talk about something or to open their mind, they're distancing themselves from 
whatever information they're being confronted by. And they're getting all worked up and freaking out. That's just a shitty process to have to go through. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Do you think everyone can be intuitive and emotionally intelligent if they work towards it? Or does do you think not everyone can get to that level? <laughs> I mean, this is an important question for relationships in terms of, you know, can my partner process or be who I want them to be? And I mean, at least that's what I think about in terms of my last relationship or people that I've dated in terms of like lacking some kind of emotional awareness or insight. And I'm like, can you develop this? And I think that for the most part, like if someone is committed to doing it, I think they can. But I think the challenge becomes is when people like don't have this value system that is motivating enough to do some of the work to develop that self-awareness. Um, and I think there are a lot of people like that who simply just don't believe in doing that kind of work or pausing and thinking and reflecting. Um, and some people are limited. And I don't think that makes them bad people or bad partners. Those people usually have really great strengths and can do other things. But I, I do think that some people just aren't motivated to do it, so they're not going to do it. Yeah, and I do. Th- I think that some people are, are, may not even be compatible on the emotional intelligence level. Some people, if they're a lot more emotionally intelligent, it's going to be hard for them to date someone that's a little more immature because it's not their job to continuously help this other person grow or to force them to grow. But I feel like when it comes to couple therapy, a lot of something that most couples don't realize that a lot of their couple issues, based on my research, it feels like a lot of the couple issues tend to come from their own personal trauma, which they themselves get triggered and then they project it onto their partner. So would you agree with that, that that happens very often when it comes to fighting in relationships? Yeah, 100%. And that's pretty much the bulk of what I do when I'm seeing a couple, you know, in terms of really helping them to identify what it is that's coming up from them when they're being confronted by some kind of a response or reaction from their partner. But the other thing is that it's usually, and not always, but it's usually both. There, It's usually a reaction to something real that's happening, like their partner is doing something that's maybe annoying or frustrating or maybe they hate them in the moment. Um, but the real kind of powerful trigger where people get dysregulated and overwhelmed and want to scream, you know, usually that's coming from past stuff. Um, so I usually like to think that it's both, but then if we want to work on changing that, we have to focus on our own role because we can't just say, well, you triggered me, so now you have to change. So it's not like someone's usually hallucinating an alien invasion and there's just a trigger, you know, it's usually something real that we're responding to most times, but, uh... It's the real power behind that kind of real escalation that comes from the historical stuff. 
a lot of times we tend to as couples we tend to fight accidentally to break up instead of fighting to an agreement towards an agreement so what's the best approach if we're dating and you're triggering me how do i approach it do i wait to go to therapy with you or do i communicate it with you or do i just hold it in till i blow up and go off on you <laughs> is the third one uh yes blow up <laughs> scream and yell throw plates uh, no. Um, I mean, it really depends on the issue and how escalated it becomes. But um, if you're getting super dysregulated, and by that I mean like your heart rate is increasing, you're getting warm, you're seeing red, you want to scream and rip someone's head off, you know, usually not the best time to engage. So, you know, that's when conflict really starts to escalate. You want to disengage. I mean, it's kind of like if you're super stressed out and you're trying to do something calm and like relax like it, it could be difficult um that's a horrible example but anyway you want to disengage and then yes you do want to find some kind of awareness or develop some kind of insight around what it is that just came up for you and talk about it with your partner um i think the challenge though is that um we think so objectively about conflict and about our relationships but our relationships are emotional their relational dynamics. They're not an objective, right, wrong situation. So most people are like, I'm right. You did this wrong thing to me. And while they might be objectively right, um, they're not necessarily emotionally or relationally right. You know, in terms of how we think about the interaction that happens in the dynamic and the impact and the reaction and the action and all that complicated stuff, um, there's no truth. There's just two people's history and experience of a situation. And if you want to move through these conflicts, you have to really appreciate and understand the other person's perspective. And that's where people kind of struggle, is that most people in relationships don't fully understand their partners and their backgrounds because they don't talk about it or they don't have the insight themselves to share it or to ask for it. You know, if someone's mean to somebody, they just see their behavior and they see them as being mean as opposed to mean because they're being, they're hurt or their earlier attachment shit is being triggered or, or, or whatever. Um, but it's because of that knowledge is just not known or shared often that um, people just have these conflicts over and over again. But this is something that's very common that happens in beginning of any relationships, like not even talking about breakups or cheating. This is beginning of relationships. There's something that happens in the beginning where the two people like each other and one or both of them now suddenly want to run, run away or they want to self-sabotage. And it's very common when the two people like each other. Why does that always happen in beginning of relationships? I don't know if I would say it always happens. Maybe for people with avoidant attachment styles then. Yeah, I mean, I think... Some everybody goes at a different pace, and so it could be something like related to an avoidant attachment style, or it could just be related to a discrepancy in terms of how people negotiate intimacy. And by intimacy, I mean kind of getting closer in a relationship and a connection forming, and you know, you're getting closer and closer. So, like, maybe one person is going at one speed and another is going at a slower speed, and it's not necessarily pulling away or avoidance, it's just difference. And that's pretty common. I don't want to say always, but there are many times where people are on the same page, they're going at the same pace, and they're like, let's fucking do this. And then there are other times where one person is like, okay, we need to slow this down, or I'm not on, we're not on the same page, but that doesn't mean I dislike you. It just means we're in a different pace. There's not a specific formula for the correct or right pace that people should go. It's just about negotiating intimacy there um, in terms of different milestones. Do we say we're a girlfriend, boyfriend, or whatever words we want to use to describe a partnership? Do we move in together? Do we whatever? Um, those different stages of relationships um, often occur for two different people in two different ways. That can be triggering for people, especially if someone's being pursued uh, in a way where they're feeling it's overwhelming or vice versa. So the best thing to do again is to really just talk about it openly 
and to, to really share where you are and share where they are and um, see what you can negotiate and compromise on. What do you mean by intimacy negotiation? I've never heard that, like someone say that before. So when I say negotiating intimacy, that means different aspects of what it means to connect or have closeness or share something together. So that can be anything around text responsiveness or spending time together, or like I said, when you define the relationship or how often you talk about things related to the relationship Um, or milestones like moving in, all of that stuff is intimacy. So negotiating that and the differences that come up with how available you are to respond to text messages or how much you actually want to text or how much you want to see each other or if you're ready to move in with each other, if you're ready to say I love you, things like that. Um, And so oftentimes people get into conflicts or it can be a place of anxiety if there's kind of a mismatch. And I don't mean mismatch in people, I just mean difference. Um, And so the difference can really bring up some tension for people. How do you keep your feelings under control in the beginning of a relationship to prevent yourself from either accidentally falling in love too fast, accidentally repeating old patterns, or accidentally self-sabotaging? Because I think even accidentally, quote unquote, thinking you're in love is also self-sabotaging. Because I used to do that where I'm like, just love, love. And one time I was dating a guy, we didn't even speak for a week. I didn't even realize that. He was like ghosting me. I didn't realize that because I was so busy like loving the idea of him that I was fantasizing about us. And I text him like, hey, can't wait to see you. <laughs> He wasn't even texting me back. I didn't even notice. He was like gone. He's gone. And I'm just like, he's mad at me. He wants to prove a point. And I'm not even noticing because I'm just thinking I'm working and then I'm like fantasizing about us. I don't know. I think for everyone it's different. I would imagine that the reason why that happened is some context that might have clues as to why. But um, I don't know. I think it's really hard to say how do we control our feelings. Feelings aren't necessarily controllable, but we can act independently from our feelings. We can feel like I don't want to do something, but know that we should do it and do it anyway and push through some of that discomfort. But I don't think we can say, well, I choose not to feel anxious or I choose not to feel a certain way. Um, but again, the more that we know about who we are, what we want, what we don't want, etc., that insight leads to choice. Right. But I'm talking about self-sabotaging. So, for example, if I start dating someone right away, I'm like, what if it doesn't work out? Or like, what if I accidentally hurt this person? What if this person hurts me? Oh, fuck. You know what? Like, I just I, I don't want to do this. Like, and that's my me being self-sabotaging where I'm too scared to get intimate. So then I want to run away. So then what inner work do I need to do to kind of, you know, stop myself, whether it's breathing or whatever it is? You know what I mean? I mean, it's a common story that I hear from people um, in terms of thinking that it's not going to work out or like a ton of relational anxiety. But so first, I kind of want to know, like, what is it? What are you responding to? Because for some people, maybe that's an ac- something accurate happening. That's what I was saying before about, you know, it's not like people are envisioning an alien. These things are usually responsive emotions. So there's something there. Um, it might not be that it's not going to work out, the worst case scenario catastrophe that people ex- may experience it to be, but there's usually some kind of responsiveness. It's not like people are generally like creating shit out of thin air. So I usually want to know what's going on. And then I want to know, you know, is this the first time you ever felt that? What's the story? What's the origin story? Where does all of this anxiety come from, etc.? But it, it is really important not to just so quickly dismiss everything and kind of put it in a self-sabotage category because... You know, there is a part of ourselves that's coming up and it might be accurate, it might be inaccurate, who knows, but it's important. So, you know, the best thing that we can do when it comes to this is not to say I'm doing this bad thing, I'm self-sabotaging, just like, why am I doing this? What is this about? Um, is this about something right. in the present? Is this about something in the past and present? What am I responding to? Um, how does this connect to my earlier experiences? How does this connect to my cultural experiences? And just kind of know ourselves as much as we possibly can so we can then choose or push ourselves to act independently from whatever that anxiety is or is not telling us. 
Um, but it's hard. Right. So basically, sometimes somebody can make me feel, if I feel like I'm going to self-sabotage, maybe I actually genuinely don't feel safe with this yeah. person emotionally. And that's why I'm reacting. Right. It's important to think about that because I think so So often people are like, well, no, I'm just getting in my own way. And you might be, but you also might be responding to something real. Um, and that realness might just be the uncertainty and insecurity of what it means at the beginning of a relationship. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know if it's going to last forever. That stuff's real. Um, and maybe someone's responding to communication style or um, feeling overwhelmed or over pursued or not pursued or not. You know, so there are there are real things here. So oftentimes it's both. And it involves um, talking to a partner and saying, I'd like more of this. I'd like less of that. Can we talk about this? And also understanding, okay, I'm also feeling this intensely because when I was 12, my parents argued, got divorced or whatever. Work on the past and work in the present. And that can help you really decrease some of that intensity. Wow. So much communication I with know, each other. I know. So much. To have a grown up relationship. It's, <laughs> it's insane. It's fucking hard. Yeah. And really risky, Almost, especially because yeah. like, it's I don't know about you, but I certainly did not grow up in a family where we were like, I'm feeling angry or upset. <laughs> you know, like it was not that. No. It was very much like... Don't share your feelings. We are not interested. Go to therapy. Like, figure out your shit. It's not that bad. Get Mine it together. Was like, don't share your feelings. Feelings are weakness, and therapy is stupid. Yeah. Right. So then you learn the exact opposite, right? Most of us do. Don't <laughs> yeah. communicate. Don't share. Whatever. And um, it's a cultural thing. It's a time thing. Okay. So then why are so many of us sometimes tend to be drawn to people who are emotionally unavailable, people who don't love us? It's mostly familiarity and familiarity, you know, means family. Uh, it's usually a reenactment of something connected to insecurity, lack of confidence, self-esteem issues, etc. Do you want to kind of dive into that? Because a lot of times people are like, no, but this person makes me feel like it's such a high and it feels familiar. So when he's running away, you're like, no, I, I can make this person love me. It's like, no, you're trying to make your dad love you. Like, this is where it's coming from. I mean, I think the interesting thing about that, though, it's related to power in terms of, because yes, we're pursuing someone that might be unavailable, but ultimately we're the ones that are unavailable and get to decide when we stop pursuing. Because the unavailable person is just doing their unavailable thing. We're the ones actively pursuing and chasing, which means, you know, we can say, actually, I'm not gonna chase you. Actually, I'm not interested in your lack of availability. So, you know, there's a huge role of power. On the one hand, it feels like a place of powerlessness, but unconsciously, we do have a lot of power. We can choose to say, actually, no, thank you. I'm not interested in you. You're not available to me. I love you, bye. Um, but we don't. And it's the lack of doing that, the lack of changing and understanding that pattern um, that is the reenactment. You know, knowing that we can actually do that, where we're reenacting it as if we were a kid pursuing our parent. Wow, that's so cool. I guess I never thought about it like that, where it's actually I have the power because you would think the other person has the power because I'm like chasing them. But really, it's like, wait, I have the power because I'm the one chasing them. I can just stop. And it's, that's so cool. it's fundamentally disconnected. Um, right, because if we're pursuing somebody who's unavailable, it's like asking somebody who's not hungry if they want to eat over and over and over again. Um, I don't know who I heard doing saying this, but someone was describing where they were like, are you hungry? Do you want this food? And they're like, no. And they're like, what about this? And like, no. And they're like, eat this piece of bread. And they're like, no. And it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's that. Um, and the question is, why do we keep asking? Because we're hoping for a different outcome. Right. And we're not going to get it. I mean, I was with somebody for on and off for seven years, and this man was never planning on marrying me and I stuck around because I just didn't love myself and when I started daddy issues he was like that's not very wife material of you to have an account like that 
I imagine I listened and he was never planning on marrying me. But once he gave me HPV for the second time, I was like, okay, you know what? I think you're still cheating on me. <laughs> okay, so you drew the so. line. It's a thing and there are a lot of people that are unavailable. Sometimes people are unavailable and they're just not interested. Um, but it, what, the story behind why someone is unavailable is irrelevant. You know, the most relevant thing is, is what do we, what do you want, right? And if you're wanting someone who's going to be responsive, which I think we all do, then it's less about their lack of availability and more about why you're pursuing someone who has nothing to offer you, right? Why we're going to a restaurant who doesn't serve us the food we want. Um, because at the end of the day, a connection doesn't fucking mean anything if the person's not going to pick up their phone or if they're not going to be available to go out with us once a week or once a month or etc. So we really want to pursue things that can give us what we seek. Unless I am subconsciously chasing emotionally unavailable people because I secretly am afraid of intimacy. So it's much easier for me to go for someone I know is not going to work out with than to actually have to dive into it. Right. Which is the story that we want to focus on as opposed to the other person who isn't available. Because we're unavailable if we're pursuing someone who's unavailable. And why do we want to be unavailable? Why are we protecting ourselves? Why do we want to cause ourselves pain? Um, all of that story is usually about the past. What is a definition of someone who's emotionally unavailable? Like, what are, what are some, how can I tell if someone's emotionally unavailable? I mean, to me, I think about behavior. Um, I don't want to define people as unavailable. I, their behavior is. I was in a relationship for a while and now I'm single. So I've become like maybe over cautious about some of these behaviors but so things like people who don't respond texts people who are constantly busy maybe just because they're busy with work but still if they're not free once a month to see me they're unavailable <laughs> like no matter how much they want to be with yeah. me like if i can't see you it's a fucking problem um so a lot of behavior like that or someone who i don't know has a lot of emotional issues going on it sounds so terrible but um and doesn't want to go to therapy and says you know i can work through this on my own um, maybe they can, but I don't know if I'm, I personally would be interested in that. And that's a bit of a red flag for me. Well, I think a lot of times in general with breakups, a lot of us think that the hardest part is finding someone new, but I've been told that the hardest part is actually knowing when to walk away. When do you think it's kind of when you have to, it goes from, I'm going to fight for this relationship versus okay it's time for me to walk away like when when is where's the line that's so hard and that's a question that like i get so many i guess asked so many times on my instagram people are like really stuck in their relationship and they're like what do i do and i'm like i don't know um it really depends on so many things um i think though that if we're in a relationship for a while and we genuinely like uh, or love the other person we have a life it's really worth seeing if you can work through that um, and I do think that one of the only ways that you can is in couples therapy or like a course or a couples book or workbook or something when did you know it was time for you to walk away it took a while I mean I had thoughts about it but I this was during my entire 20s so like I was younger and as I got older and started working more and gaining different insights. It was an evolution. So it really took me a long time to do it. I also really loved him and I didn't want to end our life together. So it's really hard, but it's really, it has to be kind of individually defined. It's too hard. Like there are so many great books written about it, but at the end of the day, you know, when you do this pros cons list, it's like, depending on the day, shit's going to change. I was reading a book recently. They said that, you know, ideally in relationships, we want to have like a 70, 30 rule, like 70%, not like ecstatic excitement, passion, but 70% like satisfying contentment, 30% conflict. I fucking want to rip your head off kind of thing. Maybe not Yeah. 30, all 30%. I want to rip your head off, but some conflict and normal hatred is kind of 
going to happen, but we don't want it to be like 70% of that. So we want to think about this kind of 70-30 rule. This is something I only learned recently about the fact that no one person cannot be everything for you. I used to have that dream that a person is going to come save me and they there should be everything for me. And then I learned that that person will never be everything for you. You have you have your friends who want thing. You have this person for this thing and all that. So life's culture tells us about relationships is literally your partner should always understand and validate your feelings. Like that's a lie. Yeah, I mean, validating feelings and emotions is like such a big buzzy thing. Everyone wants to be validated. And the interesting thing about that is no one validates themselves. <laughs> like most people who are demanding that their emotions be validated are coming at times from a place of feeling insecure and so invalid in their experience um, that it's hard for them to hold on to a sense of it's okay that I feel this way and I need you to validate it. It's not to say we want our partners to continuously and always invalidate us, but there are so many times when our feelings are going to contradict our partner's feelings and they're simply just not going to be able to validate us, nor do they have to. And you're right. No one validates themselves because why do you need me so much to tell you it's okay? Why can't you be okay with it in yourself? Exactly. I mean, it's one thing to like go to someone and be like, oh, I wish you would validate me. And if they're like, well, I can't right now because I'm actually pissed off at you. You know, and then you come back to yourself and say, okay, I see my partner's mad at me. I know that I'm a good person, like, you know, et cetera. But we can have that kind of a back and forth. It's not to say that, you know, this is rugged individualism and everyone's on an island by themselves and take responsibility for your shit type thing. No, it's it's a dynamic where we have to bring a part of ourselves that says, okay, I'm able to hold on to myself and a positive sense of self and self-definition, even if my partner is disagreeing with me. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Right. But speaking of feelings and the validation, the reason we sometimes need validation is because I think now, especially with social media, we see everyone being so happy all the time. We get nervous. Oh, I'm sad. Wait, I shouldn't feel this way. And I've been working on it with my mom has helped me to better understand where I have emotions. I need to feel through them because it's just another emotion. It's passing. So do you have kind of a way to help people understand that, that it's normal, you know, to, to sit with your feelings, experience them, and they will pass versus being like, I'm not happy right now. I should be happy. So something's wrong. My therapist said something that I thought was good. He called it emotional karate, you know, where you just kind of really have to experience your emotions that so many people like you're saying they're feeling something and they're like oh shit something is so fucking wrong what am i gonna do i have to solve it you know ah, that's me we wouldn't be happy and be like oh my god i'm happy this is not good this i shouldn't be happy or content or relaxed um and we kind of want to approach it the same way it's just one is easier to tolerate than the other um but so what we're talking about is being able to tolerate um our emotions um people say how do i get rid of them how do i cope with them but what you tolerate them 
Um, and sometimes it's super painful and you have to tolerate it. And this is when I was talking to my therapist and saying the difference between then and now is, you know, we don't want to hurt ourselves while we're feeling these emotions. And that's what I was doing when I was younger, um, which is what I don't do at all now is I'm really good to myself. Every day is a day of fucking self-care where I'm doing something nice for my, I mean, like we really have to put a lot of effort into ourselves and really be kind and careful and compassionate and blah, 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 blah. Um, when these things come up, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Um, uh, that most people just simply don't do. Uh, they will do something self-destructive or something that's really just going to exacerbate their emotional space or whatever. Well, they try to numb it. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of more of the history stuff. You know, this kind of numbing of emotion and being fearful of emotion. I like that. I never thought about it that way to tolerate the emotions because I also try to solve it. Yeah. I try to connect. Well, why do I feel this way? Let me connect it to the problem. Let me fix yeah. it versus, OK, I don't like this emotion. Let me tolerate it right. and sit with it. Right. And oftentimes the harder we try to change it, the worse it becomes. I was looking through some of your questions and I picked some of the ones that I liked on your Q&A on your Instagram. Mm -hmm. And there was one that said, how do I fill my emotional void? With a dick. Okay, perfect. <laughs> no, I'm not not kidding. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, there's so much shit out there about like, don't seek external validation. You don't need to go shopping to feel happy. You don't need like anything. Just be happy on your own. And I'm like, okay. I think if you can do that, that's great. But, you know, if, I would say figure out what, what's going on there, but also like go do something nice for yourself. Go get a massage, like go do something relaxing, go to the spa, go jump in a pool, go to the ocean, go on a bike ride. I don't know, eat something really fucking tasty. But I don't know, I always encourage my clients and people to just do whatever they want to do to make themselves feel happy. So long as it's not self-destructive and like going on a bender and getting an eight ball, like I, don't do that. How do you deal with uncertainty of where a relationship will end up like how do you let go of control and just try to enjoy the moment instead of self-sabotage and then you think it's gonna end and then it ends because you literally projected your insecurities onto yeah. it yeah i mean it's so hard i'm single now and i'm like if i get into a relationship i'm like i never want a fucking date ever again like no and i'm like how the fuck am i going to make sure that i don't have to date again <laughs> and i'm like there's no way there's no way to know. Um, and this is what I mean about tolerating. Um, and the challenge becomes, as you're describing, is the more we, the more anxious we become, the more distance and disconnected we become, which inherently is pushing our partner away if we're not be able to be present with them. We may end up eliciting the reaction we're trying to avoid, which is a relational ending, a break, um, or some kind of other challenges. So it is really hard. And... Um, it's something that's part of all relationships. You know, this idea that a relationship, you find one relationship, it lasts forever until you dies. You know, it's outdated and it's actually ridiculous. Um, you know, we have to start approaching relationships and thinking about them in terms of how we feel about them now in the present. Um, maybe negotiate the upcoming future, so a year or two. But, you know, if we're starting to think, okay, how do I know if I'm gonna be with this person for the rest of my life? I don't know. I don't know how you're going to know that. I can't fucking predict the future. That's so scary. Like, who's clairvoyant? Yeah. I don't believe in that shit. I don't know. I, you, you can't predict the future. And we can't know everything about someone or what the dynamic is going to be. We might want to end it, you know? So the last thing we want to do is think about relationship as, like, this lifelong prison. It's not a terminal condition. So focusing on the now. Which is so hard because everyone is so fucking relationally anxious because we're being bombarded now after growing up at a time where we received no information. Now it's, like overload um and we're getting all this shit um some of it helpful some of it not helpful and most people 
are really suggestible and don't have the insight or awareness to be like, okay, that doesn't necessarily apply to me. This isn't going to fit for me. I don't, things aren't right or wrong, you know? Um, so it's, there's a lot of anxiety. People are freaked the fuck out. Yeah, or on social media with influencers seeing their cu- couple goals yeah. and like, well, baby, you didn't take me on a private jet somewhere. <laughs> like, you don't love me. Yeah. Or you even Disney movies. We <laughs> oh we see God. Disney movies and the movie ends once they get married. We don't see what happens the next day. We don't see them actually live through the marriage. No. They could get a divorce, those Disney princesses. Yeah, they probably should. Okay, well, someone's a little negative. <laughs> I just don't like Disney. But... Do you feel like there's pressure for you to sometimes succeed in relationships because of what you do for a living or like pressure of you to have a successful relationship? Do you think like that's why sometimes it's harder for you to walk away too? Because you're like, I should know all of this. Like, I do this for a living. Um, I don't know. I was just having this conversation with a friend last night. I was like, I really want to get into a relationship because I'm, you know, I'm sick of being single and blah, blah, blah. But I'm also like super curious how that's going to be for me. Um, Because what I know now is not what I knew then. But no, I mean, I'm a human being, so I know that everything I know is probably gonna like go out the window and I'm gonna be like, you just invalidated my emotion, you're not listening. No, maybe not, I I have no idea. I do feel a lot of pressure like sexually, people often assume I'm like some sexual machine or like super fucking kinky right off the bat. Um, And it's not false, but like if it's a stranger, I'm pretty inhibited. I'm like, I don't know you, you smell, like get away. So people often assume that about me and that's annoying and frustrating. It feels like a lot of pressure because I'm a sex therapist. They're like, oh, he must be really good in bed. And I'm not like, I don't know, the first time I meet you, you know, we're not going to be having sex for five hours. Probably not. Yeah, no, I can definitely relate to that being daddy issues. Do people put a lot of assumptions on you with that? Yeah, it makes it very difficult to date. almost makes me not want to date when people have all these assumptions or then are stalking and seeing what I'm posting. And then I'm like, has nothing to do with you. Like, let me do my job. Can you just not focus on that? You know, people don't can't separate the character and what you do for a living versus who you are as a person and your own trauma and all this. Or they expect you to then, you know, be super understanding or like know everything if you're doing type of therapy type of podcast. It's a lot. But to be honest, I was very over dating. I'm so was like, worst. I'm done with it. I randomly went on a date with this guy that I could not care less. I was like, I was actually going to cancel. And I was like, whatever. And then I had like the best time. And I was like, how did you meet? Oh, cool. Okay. Um, through friends. Just, I mean, <laughs> it's like the beginning stages, but I do think it's funny. It's always like when you're like not looking, quote unquote, and you're just like, I don't even care about this for ugh, whatever. Who cares? Yeah. When you're, you're like entirely oh, cool. hopeless, that's when it happens. Yeah. It's like when your standards are so yeah. low, then you're like, well. I mean, that's why I hate when people are like, it'll happen when you least expect it. And I'm like, you mean when I'm like hopeless and feel like I'm going to be alone forever? But I think that's when you end up accidentally acting like yourself because you genuinely don't care anymore if this person likes you or not because you don't even want to be there. <laughs> so moral of the story feel as if you want to run away when you have a date planned and then you won't care (laughs) yeah but i do i'm so sick of people when you're like going through a breakup or you're single and alone and you're like what am i doing wrong and then you talk to couples and they're always like you know what when i met john i just knew and you're like bitch i've known you for 10 years every time you met a guy you're like he's the one so that's a lie no i hate getting advice i hate hearing those lies yeah i agree um, someone else asked you, is it always bad to intellectualize relationship problems? Where's the line between feeling and thinking? This is what I was saying in terms of suggestible. This kind of, is it always or never? <laughs> it's like, 
not usually one or the other. It really just depends. You know, we have to kind of have some kind of intellect happening. But like I was saying before, is that we think about relationships so objectively and intellectually when we're not thinking about them emotionally or relationally. Um, because, you know, we can say this is what you should or shouldn't do from here until tomorrow. But then when you're actually in the relationship, it's like 100% different. So uh, it really depends. Do both. What did you mean when you posted something about if you want a better life, you have to choose one? Everything that I post are things that I go through or have tried to figure out for myself. Yeah, I mean, there was just a long time where I was like, I hate my life. This sucks, blah, 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 blah. And I was like thinking about what what I would want differently and I wasn't doing anything to change it. I think that was coming from a place of real powerlessness and fear and anxiety. Um, but after a while, I was like, okay, if I want these things, you know, I'm going to have to do a lot and make a lot of change and take a lot of risk and feel uncomfortable and push myself outside the confines of my comfort zone and blah, blah, blah. But so many people, it's hard for them because the emotions become so powerful and they become so paralyzed and they just can't make change. Um, and so and then they get in their thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking and doing nothing. Um, so change if we want to change our life, we have to take action and do things. Yeah, I agree. Just like every day, if, or if I'm having a bad day, I can choose to have a better day. It's going to be annoying because I don't feel like it, but I can choose to change my perspective and have a more positive outlook for the rest of the day. It may actually make me feel better. Or I can choose to create one healthy habit that day. That we may actually accidentally create a few other healthy habits that day to change my day. Something I was doing was I was isolating myself a lot because I was like, I hate everybody. Um, you know, I had that narrative of, oh, I just want to be alone. Everyone's so annoying, which like people are annoying. Sure. But um, then I was at home alone and I was like, oh, I'm alone. Um, so I still have that thing come up where I'm like, oh, I don't feel like going out. But when I go out, I'm like, oh, this is actually fun. I actually like being with people like, oh, OK. So I know now that like I should not just isolate myself um, and that I should go out and be with people, be social. What did you mean when you said before to stop blaming people for your feelings? This goes back to what I was saying about being triggered and instead of thinking about where the trigger comes from, many people are focusing on what triggered it. So a behavior. Um, and that's something that happens with a lot of the couples that I see um, is that they come in and they say, my partner is doing this thing and they're making me feel so alone and blah, 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 blah. And they may be doing something to making them feel super alone, but then the way they pursue their partner um, isn't uh, listening the reaction they want. So the communication just breaks down. So usually what will happen is someone will say, you're doing this bad thing and I don't like it. Um, as opposed to saying, I'm feeling really alone and I'd really like a hug. Um, so Aww. we really need to understand what we're feeling before we say someone caused us to feel that way if we want to get something from them. Um, because then we can understand, you know, we're not, then we can get what we want as opposed to just saying, you made me feel this way. People don't make us feel a certain way. Yeah, I, I like that because, yeah, if you tell me, you make me feel like shit, I'm going to get defensive, right. I'm going to get uncomfortable, I'm going to be like, excuse me, versus if you're like, I'm feeling triggered and I feel so alone when you don't talk to yeah, me and I, exactly. like, I wish you, I wish you were around me more. Right. And it's like, oh, I'm hurting. Yeah. Like, you make me feel like shit is I'm hurting. Yeah. Aw. <laughs> That's so sweet. That's sad. It is <laughs> sad. sad sometimes. Uh, okay, so I have this problem. I feel like self-deprecation, self-deprecating humor, while funny, is often a way, obviously, of deflecting what we really need to work on. Like joking about our faults is much easier than working on them. Why does language matter so much, even if our intent is just to be funny? People are so mean to themselves. 
um, and they think it's funny or they think that it's noble, you know, not to say good things about themselves or accept compliments or whatever. Um, but yeah, language is really important. Um, the way we, the words we use to describe ourselves, the words we use to describe our partner, the words we use to describe our future, the way we see the world, blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I really do think language is important and I think it's really, it's an inherited way of understanding. And oftentimes you'll see that many people will say things or think things in words that their family, parent, culture thinks and feels. So language is really important. There's a lot of information there about why we choose certain language and why we deprecate. Um, I mean, growing up, my mother was just awful to herself about her body. Um, she still is. Every time I see her, it's like, how old do I look? You know, do you see I lost weight? I've been trying so hard. You know, there's just all this focus. And, um, you know, I do the same thing with myself. And then I'm like, oh, shit, I have to stop. This is not my voice. This, these words are not my words. Um, I got this from my mother. I got this from my father when he would comment on her body, you know, like. So we have to understand why we use the language we use. And then we have to, like, really be conscious to be nice. Um, because the world is going to say things, unfortunately, that are mean. That's interesting about the words we use because it has to do with, I, I never thought about it, but I guess that makes sense if I think about whenever my father tried to make me step up, he would put me down and I was always so hurt by it because I was just like, I need to be loved. I don't need to be put down. That's not going to encourage me to be better. And I always disagree with that so much. But when I got older, when I tried to encourage my friends or my partners, I would do the same thing. I'd be like, okay, so I guess you want to be a failure. And like, I was just like, I'm trying to make you step up. I'm trying to make you strong. And it took me forever to realize like, oh my God, I'm doing exactly what my father did to me, which I did not encourage me at all. Yet that's what I think works. No matter how much we work on ourselves, we're always still going to have those moments where we forget and we talk to ourselves in a bad way or we repeat patterns. Like it doesn't matter how much research you learn or how much education you have. You're only, it's human. Yeah. I mean, it's cultural um, because we live in such awful, toxic spaces sometimes. But um, you, with, with that, the self-deprecative stuff and the mean self-talk, it's, it's a lot of inferiority. And the solution isn't to go to this grandiose or superior places as well. I'm amazing and better than everybody else. Um, you know, it's to try to find some neutrality and, and something that's kind and actually to just stop thinking about it. Right. So I read something that simply said, stop, quote unquote, spiraling which further said to stop obsessing, stop overthinking and accept and tolerate the pain that it may cause you. Cause I think once you start spiraling. Yeah, it's so hard to stop. And I mean, it's, it's, it's hard. I do, I spiral and, I, you know, and then I'm like, oh, right, I'm obsessing right now. But uh, yeah, I mean, this is what I was saying about tolerating emotions. You know, oftentimes spiral is coming from emotions and the harder we resist those emotions, oftentimes it really uh, results in a spiral. And then when we're spiraling, it, it hurts more. It's more pain, more stress, um, more anxiety. It doesn't solve anything. Um, but sometimes that's just the way our mind works is that we see something that feels bad and we're like, ow, 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 this hurts, um, must fix it. But you know, it just creates a spiral. So the best thing to do is to just pause and be like, okay, I'm really freaked out right now. This is really fucking hard. And you know, that's okay. Like this is going to pass and that's hundred percent fine. Everything can't be easy all the time. I'm a normal person experiences, you know, to really kind of talk to ourselves. Sometimes it'll work. Sometimes it won't. But we just have to tolerate it. I read somewhere, I don't recall exactly what it said, but it said that there was like a specific amount of time where you experience the emotion of sadness and anything after that is you just choosing to stay in that certain emotion, something like that. I need to like look more into the research to better understand. But like I thought that was kind of 
interesting because sometimes we really do love being sad like sometimes i love being miserable as much as i pretend like i don't like sometimes it feels familiar and i like sitting in my sadness because i don't want to deal with like actually trying to work on myself can part of the breaking up with your old self process put you into a spiral though like having to continuously just take a long look at yourself and reliving painful memories wouldn't that keep just triggering stuff or you have to face those triggers right because the only way above is through <laughs> yeah i mean well it's through some of these painful things but like i have a, th- a session with a client it's you know 50 minutes an hour um and then they're like okay i'm gonna think about this and blah, blah, blah. and i'm like don't even bother <laughs> like don't you know think about it a little bit but we don't have to kind of do this stuff for 10 hours every week um you know we can analyze and reflect and journal um you know max an hour a day I mean, you don't even have to do this daily um it's just a process but i think people are really in a rush to self-improve um but like self-discovery happens throughout our entire life it's not a rush unless you're really hurting yourself and really destructing and really in pain then you really want to stop and like get someone to help you figure out what's happening but you know figuring out our old self our new self our higher self our lower self our this self you know we take all ourselves with us there's not one or the other or bad self um you know we're a multitude of selves and um we don't want to get to a place where we are obsessing and spiraling about our past and living in our past and going over it and over it and over it because you can't change it no that's what i was talking about resisting and that's that's resistance that's not change i've been able to work through some of my past trauma by forgiving myself for not knowing any better and then also forgiving people that like whether you expect them to be the grown-ups, you expect them to protect you and they just didn't know any better. If you just, And I know it's so hard for people because like, I don't want to forgive, it's not fair. And you're like, well, you don't have a choice. Just Because I know, it's, in my opinion, holding on to all that anger hurts me more than it, the other person, especially if they don't care. Like, I'm holding on to anger for what? They don't even give a shit. I'm the only one hurting them. Yeah, I mean, the anger, it, it continues the hurt is what it does. And I think a lot of people get hung up on that one. I don't want to forgive someone. Um, but, you know, that doesn't mean you have to like them or call them every day. You can you can dislike them exactly. and say, gee, I really wish they were different. But holding on to hatred in that sense as a way to define someone else is just something that you're experiencing internally. It's not helping you. One thing that is hard for me to deal with people who have this type of self-sabotage, maybe because I'm an immigrant, so it's like something unheard of for us. But I've noticed these days a lot of people have to have tend to have self-sabotaging that has to do with people who love to play the victim role in their life whether or not they even realize it everyone else is a narcissist everyone else is hurting them everyone else is a problem why is this always happening to me how can they get past through that and understand that maybe they're accidentally playing a role in their life of being the victim constantly It's a pretty common stance that people take in their lives. Um, And it's sad um, because most people who take that stance and do that kind of a dance, they have been victimized. And it's something, that sense of being victimized is something that kept them safe um, in terms of because it was something that actually happened to them. Um, I have many clients that kind of do this powerless, scared child thing, like everyone in the world is mean to me. I can't do anything about it. I'm powerless. And it's about their trauma. Um, And then for some people, it's about their personality and, you know, they have some issues there where they're unable to look at themselves because of the intense level of shame they may feel or etc. So there's usually a really big story, but they're also usually really hard people to be around. 
um, because they are so stuck in that kind of regressed child place of I can't be powerful in my life. That is insane. Yeah. You just changed my perspective on how I view. Well, those they're kind people. of annoying. It's annoying, but um, that anno- that. No, no. In a way that I I understand now. I thought it was just uh, from selfish reasons. I didn't realize that it's like literally they feel powerless. Like that's so sad. Yeah, and a lot of people at one time in their life were like victimized. Like many people were victimized in their families or by someone, um, or really hurt, and then it becomes this kind of identity. And also a way to get attention that they never got when they were victimized. So how do you map, move past it? You tell them to go to therapy. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to do anything for them. Like, we, you know, they have to do something for themselves. Um, but oftentimes people go a long time feeling this way, feeling so powerless, feeling um, so paranoid. And, and it's just it's so hard. Because again, we don't live in a world where it's like, okay, time to talk about your trauma in like when we're 12. Usually people don't start actually reflecting about their lives until 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. And that's after decades of really working out this kind of victimization identity or um, anxious identity or whatever. Um, so it's just really hard you know, when we don't get any guidance. I mean, who gets guidance? I don't know. I was lucky. I went to therapy. Many people grow up in families, like you said, that thought therapy was a weakness. I mean, yeah, I didn't learn about my feelings until the last like seven years and really dive in the last four years. I sometimes feel like a, a baby when it comes to emotions and, and partnerships and relationships. Like, honestly, people get surprised or sometimes like it sounds childish, but I genuinely sometimes because because everything I do a lot of times is logic and then I have to stop and I have to understand what I'm feeling because because I do so much research because I didn't grow up with emotions that for me, it's all logical. I'll be like, well, research said and even the guy I was, I'm currently dating was like, yeah, but how do you feel? And I'd be like, what? No, but research is saying yeah. that. <laughs> like, that's how I talk. Oh, <laughs> so thank you. But I, I feel like I feel like even talking to you right now about some of these different topics has helped me really change my perspective about how sure I was about certain things. I'm glad to have an impact. I accidentally kept saying that you can't love someone else unless you first do the work on yourself and love yourself. And then I read that you were like, that's bullshit. Come on. Like you can still get in a relationship. So do you think you can still be in a healthy relationship where one or both of you are trying to work on yourselves? hundred percent. So many people are in relationships where neither person has or is doing any work on themselves or each other. And this is when the blaming and all of that other shit starts to come out. Um, so, you know, it, it doesn't really matter. People often go to extremes. They're like, yeah, but I hated myself and I was drinking and drugging. And I'm like, okay, well, I mean, you don't want to fucking absolutely hate yourself. That's a whole different conversation. But you don't need to have this kind of sense of love um, before you can receive love. And also, you know, the way our relationship to ourselves changes. Some days we fucking hate ourselves. Some days we fucking hate our partner. Um, We have to stop thinking about love, whether for ourselves or for other people, as this kind of everlasting, perpetual state of bliss. It's so not. So we have to allow for some dips and imperfections. And um, sometimes we learn to love ourselves through our relationships. Um, sometimes we can teach ourselves how to love by observing our partner love us. Um, so self-love, love for other people, it's a dynamic and an interaction between ourselves, the other person in the world. Um, so we can't just kind of hide away at home doing a self-love journal until we get to the last page and then be like, okay, I'm ready for a relationship. You can do it simultaneously. Yeah, that's, that's, that was my view. I was just like, well, first I need to work on myself, get to the point 
where I'm healed. So I'll be the best version of myself. And then I will find the best version of someone else. Because I mirror. Because, but I'm too logical. So I like your perspective. I mean, it's not inaccurate. Yeah. Um, but I think you can soften it. Um, and it's, it's just not a black and white picture. I think that is the best advice. And I like that I keep seeing you say that about the black and white picture, because a lot of people, including myself, we view everything black and white, like, well, you shouldn't be saying that. So no. And, or you shouldn't treat me this way, or I, this shouldn't happen. So no, versus their trauma, they're having a bad day. Why did this happen? Why was I triggered? Yeah. I mean, and we all do it. I mean, I do it and I start thinking about things in this all or nothing way, but then, you know, I have to be like, wait a minute, (laughs) maybe it actually isn't that cut and dry. So you can break up with the old version of yourself while still dating someone else, as long as you're both working on yourself. Yeah, I would agree with that. Before we wrap this up, do you have any advice for anyone out there that's currently going through a breakup and how to heal from that, how to find themselves again? Yeah, I would, I mean, I I feel so biased, but I would say go to therapy, read a lot of, like, read a book, go to therapy, take an online course, self-reflect. I mean, it's a really good opportunity to learn something about yourself. And so you have to be kind to yourself and you have to be good to yourself. Um, And it really does help to have a therapist. So you have a space to talk about that and you can have help. Um, But it's really hard. That's sweet. What are some examples of good habits for people that they can pick up on? Like even with the self-loving. You know, what can they do to kind of make themselves feel better if they're feeling like shit when they wake up in the morning? Um, Well, it really depends on the person. It depends on, you know, what makes you feel good. Um, Usually it's some blend of relaxing, pleasurable activities, social connection, something like that. Do something in your body where you're moving. Don't just sit at home by yourself, like leave your apartment um, or house or wherever you are. Um, but you want to do something active to tend to how you're feeling. Well, for me, one of my good habits that's uh, maybe different for other people, I dance in front, I dance naked because I think it's funny in front of the mirror. Cute. It makes me laugh. And then I'm just like, you're so cute. <laughs> I like you. <laughs> and it makes me feel good. And then it makes me giggle because it makes me adore myself. And like no one else has to see that happening. I mean, you want to have fun. You give yourself um, kind of like what you would do if a little kid was sad, right? You take care of them. You're like, let's go get some ice cream. Let's dance in front of the mirror and have a dance break. So you want to do that. If you are thinking about taking care of a kid, that's what you want to do. What would I do for this kid? You're going to sit and tell them that they're bad for feeling sad? No, you're going to be like, let's get ice cream. You want pizza tonight? Let's go look at dogs. Let's go to the park. Uh, Let's have a little dance sesh. Um, Let's go make a mess in the kitchen, whatever. But you want to do something like that. Okay, that's cute. I, I really like that. You treat yourself as if you were, it's kind of like your inner child or like as if you were a little child, how you, it's instead of being like, you're an idiot. You should have thought better. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Yeah, don't do that. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at your diagnonsense. And you can go to my website, toddsbarretts.com. But Instagram is better. And are you currently accepting new clients? Uh, I'm not. Um, I have a wait list, but... Sorry, uh, guys. But yeah, no new clients. But I <laughs> do have um, an online program for sex and love. You can go fuck yourself. Yeah, Sorry, that's guys. exactly what I was <laughs> saying. No, um, I have an online program. If you want to take that and work with me, you can do that. Um, there's a program for sex. There's a program for love for couples and for single people. Um, so you can do that. And you can find out more on my Instagram or on my website. Okay, perfect. So I'll link the website on the description of this episode. So then if since you can't get him as a therapist, so you got to get on the waiting list, you can definitely get his course. So that's awesome. 
Thank you so much again for coming on the show. And you guys go follow him on Instagram, go check out his site, and go take care of yourselves. Yes. Yes. Have a beautiful day. Bye, guys. Mwah.